You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn. Yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labour or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows what, that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. I've been doing this for nearly 20 years and I'm still dumb enough to put a word that's original in my mouth right before I come up here. Hang on a sec. It's not a great start. If I haven't met you, my name's Jonathan. I am, in fact, a vicar and not just an intern. Um, So, (laughs) You know, I just loved those prayers that Elsa prayed for us just now, those intercessions. Just found myself saying amen all the way through, just spot on. And um, I love the fact that she spoke to our mission statement as a church. You know, we had this conviction that God has us here for a reason, and that reason is to be a a community, Um, not just a gathering of random people on Sundays, but a real community, a family of people helping people make all of life all about Jesus. And the reason I love this mission so much is because I think it makes sense, makes sense of the world, the world that as we've been seeing through the book of Revelation, that Jesus is king over, he's Lord, he's sovereign. And if that that vision that John has of Jesus is true, 
and he really is ruling and reigning on the throne, surrounded by all creation praising him day and night. If that's true, then it makes total sense that we would want to make all of our life all about him. I love the fact that in that statement, we emphasize that this is not something that we pay a clergyman to do, but it's something that we're all involved in. All of us have this shared mission to make all of life all about Jesus and to help others to do it. As you know, with all mission statements, there is an aspect of them which are kind of aspirational. That's meant to be that way. We understand that this is not something that we have arrived at. No one in this room is in fact making all of life all about Jesus. So it's worth just considering particular areas in which we're falling short of this. And I think probably even if you are fully on board with this as a kind of mission to pursue, um, one of the obstacles to actually achieving that mission, it comes in the form of times of testing, times of temptation, times when uh, we can feel like uh, in this season, for these reasons, under these circumstances, I can put aside making all of life all about Jesus and turn to my own ends. So I don't know what it is for you. I mean, most of us ought to know by now just as part of our discipleship, to, we should be able to identify the things that particularly cause us to leave the mission to which God has called us. The mission, by the way, is just a restatement of you know, countless other mission statements that, to quote the Westminster Confession, we exist, we live, we have breath in our lungs to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So what throws us off that mission, what distracts us, what, what obstructs us from pursuing that, I think probably it comes in the form of trials, testing, temptations. Like, maybe it's that you are doing your best at work and putting in a shift and being conscientious and your boss still doesn't acknowledge you or your boss belittles you, or your boss doesn't appreciate you. In those circumstances, we can say, I'm following Jesus, I'm making all of life all about him, but under this particular set of circumstances in which I'm facing testing, it's in this specific area, I can kind of isolate that off from the mission and then pursue this situation from the flesh. And so... You leave the way of Jesus and you start interacting with your boss on the terms that he has set. He's a pain in the neck, so I'll be one too. We go from Jesus saying, love your enemies, do good to those who persecute you, to taking a literal approach to eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Maybe, you know, we've just, we've just come up to the end of the financial year Maybe it's just once a year. You're just cruising all year round, living out that mission statement, making all of life all about Jesus, but then it comes tax time, and uh, just, just for this week, just on this form, it's going to be okay for me to, you know, be creative with the truth. 
I know Jesus said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, but I'm pretty sure somewhere else he said, all taxation is theft. And so, <laughs> you know, what harm will it do, really? Just to massage the numbers a little. Maybe it's sexual temptation. It's almost, if you're anything like me, when it comes to these things, and maybe sexual temptation is a particular one, you know, it's almost on the basis that I'm making all of life all about Jesus that I can give myself this concession at this time. I have been working so hard, I deserve a little break from being like him. I can be a little bit more like myself, my flesh. And so we give, give ourselves these passes. It's like, you know, there's this, this inner lawyer that from time to time under duress steps forward and says, you know, here's the case for pursuing the flesh. Today I want to talk about particularly what it means to make all of life all about Jesus when it comes to to money and possessions, material things. We won't focus too much on specifics. I, I, I want us to step back and just take a look at the world and really how we see the world when it comes to these things, the, the things of money and resources in general. I want to talk about what is shaping our worldview when it comes to this because all of our actions really will flow from the way that we see the world, the way we experience the world, the kind of narrative we have for interpreting everything we come across in the world. We saw in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus wasn't just giving kind of proverbial um, sayings that we could put on a coffee mug or on a fridge magnet. He was giving us a hot, like a full-orbed way of living in the world. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It means day by day, step by step, keeping in step with him. The way that he lived, the things that he said, his view of the world. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. I don't know much about the current economic situation because I just don't... I mean, I got an F in maths in VCE. So I don't understand. I was asking Gihan about this the other night, trying to explain to me inflation and interest rates, and it all just, I don't know, I, it's just, it's all Greek to me. And, but here's, here's what I know. I know potato chips. I have a 42-year relationship with potato chips. Yes, I did have them from the womb, and um, <laughs> they just had to pre-chew them for me. And so he, here's what I know. I know that when a, when a bag of my favorite kettle chili, uh, chili chips costs six bucks, I know something's not right in the world. I know some, something's out of whack. So we're living in the context right now where all you have to do is listen to conversations with everyday people to know that there is a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress around inflation, interest rates, cost of living. And so I think it's actually the perfect time for us to speak to this issue because if we allow ourselves to be trained by the narrative, and it's not, it's not devious or, 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 or nefarious, 
It's just natural for us to feel anxiety, to feel worry, and to, to grab for control when we feel threatened. And if we allow ourselves, we will just go the way of the world, which is, as we're going to see, by nature, grabbing for what we don't have, rather than seeing the world as an abundant, um, laid out by an, a, an abundantly generous Father who loves us and promises to provide for us. So that's the idea of this binary way of seeing the world. These are worldviews, right? A way of looking at the world around you and either seeing it as a a place of scarcity in which you need to anxiously accumulate what you can while you can, or to see the world in the the biblical worldview, which is that this world that God has created has been provided by a generous host who provides everything we need in abundance. They're your two options. And this message this morning, really the only, the only goal I have is to, by God's grace, shape us a little bit more according to the truth and not according to, to our natural base desires. So let me just roll out for you a few of Jesus' words, a few of his teachings around money and possessions, and if you're not awake yet, I feel a little under the weather myself. This ought to wake us up. This ought to shock us, because, well, they're shocking. All right, so here we go. We'll start with Matthew 19. I'll just do this rapid fire, okay? Matthew 19, he says, if you want to be perfect, you remember, I, I think the best translation is whole or complete. If you want to be whole, if you want to be complete... Jesus said to him, go, sell your belongings and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. Keep going. We got Mark 10. Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Matthew 5. Jesus says, give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Next, Luke 12. Watch out. Watch out and be on your guard against all greed. How much greed? All greed. Because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Matthew chapter 6. No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then we saw this a few weeks ago in Revelation. Jesus says, you say I'm rich, I've become wealthy and need nothing. How many, that's our mission statement really. I'd like to become wealthy and need nothing. Jesus says of that church and those people, you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. Jesus' teaching on money, 
possessions, material things is shocking. It's completely out of step with the world that we live in. And if, if, if you'll allow me to say it, it's completely out of step with us. This is not a them thing. Now, I hope you know by now that it's not going to be enough. If you do indeed desire to have your whole way of viewing the world shaped by Jesus so that you think his thoughts after him. That's what, when he refers to being righteous, that's what he's talking about. To be a righteous person, to think God's thoughts after him. If that's your desire, and I really hope it is, if that's your desire, then it's not going to be enough for you to take those verses and print them out and put them on the fridge and memorize them and have them as a kind of alternative Ten Commandments. That's not going to work. We saw what happened with the Ten Commandments. Nobody kept them, ever. It's not going to be enough. By all means, print them out, put them on your fridge and memorize them, but you're going to need more than just the will to try and do what Jesus says in all of these commandments that he's just given us. What we need is not another set of commands. We need transformation. I need to become a different person. By nature, I don't think like Jesus does. By nature, I just want to take all of what he just said and erase it from the Bible. By nature. What I need is transformation. And and Paul talks in Romans chapter 12 about not being conformed to this world. Not being conformed to the the, the, the boom and bust nature of the economy, not being conformed to the set of principles and, and goals and desires that the world has, for, particularly for the accumulation of wealth, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what's happening now. If God is gracious to us, even through broken instruments, he will work by his word to transform us. If you don't want to have a different perspective on money and possessions, if you want to keep going on that never-ending rat race, hamster wheel of accumulation, then you, you need to leave now because otherwise God might just get a hold of you and transform you by the renewing of your mind. We have a couple of options in front of us, really, for the rest of our lives. We can cultivate a scarcity mindset. And I know, by the way, scarcity versus abundance, this has been sort of commandeered and, 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 and used by people who are trying to run a like, get-rich-quick schemes or, you know, they, they talk about, well, you, you just got to believe in abundance and then you'll become a millionaire. Um, and it's being commandeered by prosperity, gospel, demonic nonsense. But I, I just want to reclaim this as a, a, actually a, a good way of thinking about how we approach God's world. So we can approach it by nature and see that the world is barren 
and I am lacking all the things that I want and need and therefore I need to grab and leverage and lie on my taxes to just get what I, what I want. Or we can see it as this land of abundance governed by a good father who promises to provide all that we need. And I think this makes really good sense of the entire Bible. I think the Bible is, is from start to finish painting a picture of the world, how it is, how the way God has made it to be, and how it goes when we live out of our human nature, our fleshliness. So right back in Genesis 1, like first page of the Bible, you have this image of God. And this is a, one way you can read the whole Bible. There are several different ways that you can read the narrative. One way you can approach it is from the beginning, looking at the world as, um, as something that God has created because he is a generous host. So you read the creation account as this, this host who owns a house called the universe, and, and, and as a generous host, he lays out the banquet of creation, which is teeming with abundance, and then he invites humanity in to share in that abundance. He's a host, a generous host. You've, you know, you've, got, you've got that one friend, and you just love going around to their house, because whenever you go, it's just the table is packed with stuff, and it's all good. That's the vision that the Bible gives us about who God is and what he's like, what his nature is, his, his kind of like just natural disposition towards abundance and provision. So in Genesis chapter 1 and verse, uh, is it 24? Uh, 29. Um, this is what it says. God, God also said, look, he says to, to humanity, the people, his, his guests that he's invited into the banquet, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky and for every creature that crawls on the ground, everything having breath in it the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so, and God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. He sees this table laden with everything that all creation needs in abundance, and he says, you know what? It's very good. That's the kind of lens through which we are meant to view the world around us. The problem is that by nature and, and by choice, and you just check this against yourself, against your, your natural tendencies, right? By nature and by choice, by nature, we tend to overlook the things that we have and focus on that which we lack. Is that ringing a bell? You've got the incredible, miraculous, world-redefining iPhone, but it's the one with two cameras, and they've got one now with three. 
four, or I don't know, ten. There is almost nothing within you that is driving you towards contentment in the thing that you've got, irrespective of how good it is. Everything within you, by nature, and really I'm, I'm sure it's by choice, is driving to you towards that which you don't have. That's a scarcity mindset. I know one of you was telling me a story earlier this week about being at work and you know working at a restaurant and a guy orders like a hundred bucks worth of food. It's a lot of food. If you've got a hundred bucks to spend on food, you're okay. All right, you can stop stressing. That's like nearly 20 bags of kettle chips. <laughs> and he orders 100 bucks worth of food, and there's one little side item that is out of stock, and he loses his mind like a, like a toddler. So you know what? It's... Um, it's easy, and this is how I respond. It's easy to respond by saying, what a loser. But, you know, if I'm honest, I have that in me. To overlook the abundance of what I have and to pine after, like a little toddler, to pine after that which I don't, to be upset if one little thing doesn't go my way, I believe that that it's part and parcel of being human, and I think it's something that we need to own and take responsibility for and repent of, and it's something that Satan has given to us. If God is a generous host who provides everything in abundance, Satan provides nothing but yearning discontentment. One of Satan's favorite ploys, and in fact the first one that we see in the scriptures, is to point out that which we don't have and to question whether God can be really good if we don't have that thing. Remember this, Genesis chapter 3? It says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat or touch it or you will die. No, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at. And that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom, so she took some of its fruit and ate it and gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is our predicament. God creates everything and says it's all for you, this abundance. Satan comes along, the temptation is to take the, the thing 
that God said they couldn't have. And so rather than receiving what he's given them, they grab for something that's not theirs. That's the rest of the Bible. Another way of reading the whole Bible is just to see it as this give and take. God continues to be a generous host after this happens. Continues to provide, even in the, like the very moment that it happens, he provides skins for them to wear for clothes, right? He's just this prodigal provisioner of human beings who don't deserve anything. He continues to provide, and humanity by nature continues to grab for what's not theirs to have. You got kids? Makes sense of most of their behavior, right? Not your kids, but... So come back to this issue of worldview, right? How, how are we going to see the world according to the truth, which is that there is an abundance provided by God who loves us, rather than this false narrative that we keep peddling that there's not much to go around, so we need to grab what we can. What, what shaped Jesus' worldview, which enabled him to teach the kinds of things that I read from earlier? What's, what, what, I mean, why is he the crazy one? How is he coming up with stuff like this when just by nature of being human, we think otherwise? Well, I mean, Jesus was there in Genesis 1, so he's very familiar with the creation account, right? He knows the way that the world is put together. But in his human nature, Jesus has been trained He's been trained as a Jew, going to synagogue. He's been trained to think God's thoughts after him. So one of the things that he would have heard, uh, one of the scriptures he would have heard at synagogue regularly, um, and, and the reason they read these scriptures was to train worldviews, right? To train a whole way of viewing the world which was meant to be distinct from the world around them. One of the teachings he would have heard, and I won't read all of it, but Psalm 104 was read at synagogue, and let me just read a little bit of it. So verse 10 to 17. Speaking of God, it says, He causes the springs to gush into the valleys. They flow between the mountains. The supply of water for every wild beast. Remember, this is a desert people. So This is not just what they see. This is what they believe. The supply of water for every wild beast. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky live beside the springs. They make their voices heard among the foliage. goes on. He he waters the mountains from his palace. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of your labor. He causes grass to grow for the livestock and provides crops for man to cultivate, producing food from the earth and on. Wine that makes human hearts glad. Some of you say amen. Making his face shine with oil and bread that sustains human hearts. The trees of the Lord flourish, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests. Storks make their homes in the pine trees. And on to verse uh, 24. 
How countless are your works, O Lord. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, vast and wide, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships move about, and Leviathan, which you formed to play there. All of them wait for you to give them their food at the right time. When you give it to them, they gather it. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. See, Jesus was trained by scriptures like this. That's how we can say the things that John read in that reading earlier. If God clothes the flowers of the field, if God feeds the birds, if God opens his hand and feeds Leviathan and every creature in the sea, if that's what he does and that's what he's like, then don't be anxious. Don't grab. Don't view the world as a place of scarcity. That's what's shaping his worldview. The fundamental truth at the center of it all, and if you want to have this worldview, you must start here. The fundamental truth is that God is a good host who provides abundantly for all his creatures. If that's true, then it makes total sense of Jesus' teaching. It's not weird at all. He's just telling it like it is. Let me read a little bit more from our reading today that makes the point. This is flowing straight out of the whole way that Jesus views the world. Luke chapter 12, 22 to 26. He said to his disciples, and he says to his disciples in Caroline Springs, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Can any of you, I love this, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? Just ask yourself the question. We live as if we can, but this is a rhetorical question. Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If you're not able to do even a little thing, he says, why worry about the rest? This is hard to take. If you're, especially if you're a type A, productivity-focused go-getter, this is hard to hear. Jesus' brother James grew up with the same kind of teaching, going to the same kind of synagogue, and he says very similar things in his letter. He says uh, in James chapter 1, he just delights in this truth. Remember, coming, coming out of Psalm 104, 
every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I believe that we live our lives, even acknowledging God as good Father and provider of all things, we live that, we live that out in a sense like thinking like, about him like, like being swayed by forces out of his control or something. Maybe God is beholden to the stock market, that he, like economics dictates his provision. God was good to us in the late 90s and early 2000s. I don't know if that's true. You know, when times are good and the dollar is doing well, then God must be good. When I've got food in my pantry and money is coming off the mortgage, then God must be good. But then, you know, he, get, you know, he has to tighten his belt at certain times of the year and according to certain market forces. And James says, uh-uh. Everything good comes from God, and he does not change like shifting shadows. He does not change with economic forces. God's provision is not boom or bust. He doesn't change. If Genesis 1 says that God is a good host who provides everything needed for his entire creation, then that is true to this day and will be forever true. He doesn't change. How are we going to shape our minds to experience the world in abundance? How are we going to shape our minds to see God setting the table for his creation, both good and evil people? Setting the table for his creation in abundance. You can imagine him as a host that has provided a banquet. That's the kind of image that might be helpful. But even better than that, more intimate than that, is that God is a loving Father who knows you, loves you, and provides for you. Not all of us had fathers who were like that. That doesn't change the fact that God is a Father who knows you and loves you and provides everything you need. That's the world you live in. That's the God you serve. That's his nature. Jesus again picks up on this in Matthew chapter 7. This is how he describes it. He says, Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil, right, In comparison with God, you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? It's who he is. It's what he's like. He delights, Jesus says in our reading today. He delights 
to give us good things. He delights to give us the kingdom. I'll tell you a story to finish, and this might seem silly to many of you, but it was very meaningful to me. Yesterday I went on a, a hike, and I got to the top of a ridge overlooking a valley, and I, there's this rock that I really like to sit on, which is like way out on the edge of the cliff, so that if you look down between your boots, you just see straight down to the bottom of the, the valley, and there's a river winding its way through, and, and right down in, like between your feet, there's this big pool in the river, and um, once before I saw a platypus there. Platypus is very elusive, very difficult to spot, and um, I'd seen one there years ago, and so I sat down on this rock, breathing a little heavier than I'd like to admit, and sat down, and was just, I was looking in this pool, and, and I, I found myself praying, God, I'd love to see a platypus. Since I was very young, as long as I can remember ago, um, God has communicated his love to me through creation. I just, I, the heavens declare the glory of God and I'm listening. Like I'm just, that's just the way I'm wired. So I'm sitting there and just asking for God to love me by showing me a platypus. And I, I promise you, I've been there a hundred times, maybe more, and I've seen it once. I promise you, just up bobbed this platypus. It just started playing on top of the water and then diving down for a minute and coming back up. And I just sat there for a good 20 minutes just observing this thing. And part of me wanted to, to report on that event and say, what a coincidence. It's crazy. I mean, it just never happens. I'm so lucky to be here for this fleeting encounter. But very soon after that initial thought I had, I stamped it out with thanksgiving and praise. I said, thank you, Lord. You've provided me with this experience today. That's the abundance worldview at play. Scarcity mindset, this hardly ever happens. One in a hundred, what are the chances? Abundance mindset, God is a good God who loves delight. Like I just, I imagine, and, and, and I'm sure this isn't heresy, I imagine God just did that and then was kind of proud of himself. You know, in the sense that he lays out the table of creation and says, this is very good. Like I imagine he just said, this kid who I love loves looking at that creature that I love, and that's good. I'm happy with this. And I just experienced in that moment not only the joy of seeing a, cre a creature that I, I'm interested in, but the joy of experiencing God as generous host, loving father, provider of not just my needs, but just some of my wants as well. If God is gracious to us, he will, through the transformation of our minds, not just today, it's not going to happen today, but through the, the steady week-to-week -week gathering for worship, receiving his word, reading your Bible in the morning, training your mind to pray and give thanks, through all of that, he will enable us in everything, in the cold glass of water, in the... the 
stolen Werther's original, right? In every little thing, in every little circumstance, train our minds to see the world as his provision, the provision of a gracious God who gives even when we don't deserve it. That's my prayer. That's what I'm going to pray now. And part of that prayer will be answered not through the teachings of the man up front or even through your private study of God's word. It will need to happen by the shaping force of this community. That's why we are people helping people. The most profound force against the, the, our human nature and the way that the world wants to shape us is cultivated by a whole community. This is a joint effort, and it's going to require each one of us, young and old, male and female, right? It's going to require all of us. So I want to give you an opportunity to be part of that shaping force, and this is how you should conceive of it, right? After, we, um, after I pray and, and Les uh, will sing for us, um, give us some time for contemplation, I also want you to take that time to consider how God has proven himself to be a good, loving, and prodigal provider, okay? So think about one instance in the last month, in the last year, when you were a kid, whatever, where that became clear to you. It was a platypus moment, all right? And then I want you, after we've heard that song, to take the microphone and to share with us, to join in the community mission and activity of shaping the worldview of this entire congregation by sharing some stories about God's goodness. All right? So just be thinking about that as, we, as I pray and as we hear from Leslie. All right, let's pray together. Father, we admit that we need your help in this. We admit that we are by nature people who grab, grab for those things which are out of our reach, focus on those things which we don't have and ignore the abundance of your provision. Please forgive us. We want to be more like your son Jesus. We want to think those thoughts after him. We want to experience the joy and the freedom, freedom from anxiety, freedom from worry that comes in a settled contentment that you love us and you've promised to provide for us. Lord God, particularly in this current season where we're feeling the pinch financially, I pray that you would save us from going down the path of focusing in on what we don't have stresses and strains of the financial situation. Set us free in the knowledge that you love us. And Lord, please be prompting people in this room now to share and affirm, testify and give witness to your goodness and mercy and grace. Help us in our mission, dear Lord to be helping one another make all of life all about you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.